Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. We're going to attempt to finish chapter 3 of Titus. Uh, we're going to be in verses uh, 1 through 15, make our way through it. But as you're making your way to Titus chapter 3, if you haven't already, um, the emphasis that Paul has put in the book of Titus is, is threefold. The first <laughs> is godly leadership, the call for godly leadership. And that's in chapter one. And the reason uh, Paul was establishing godly leadership in, in the churches in Crete is because there's a lot of turkeys out there. Right. And uh, and, and they were infiltrating the church and, and there wasn't really strong leadership. So Paul put some qualifications in there and said, man, you need to hide this. You need to be about putting in some godly leaders in this church. And when you put godly leaders in the church, hopefully they are the ones who not only teach the word of God, but they model the word of God and help explain the word of God to the people. And they also protect people from false doctrine. Cause when you're younger, you don't know any better sometimes about things. Right. And so chapter one focuses on godly leadership. And then he moves into chapter two. And the focus in chapter two was on a godly church. What about a godly church? Well, this is who we're to be. He tells him in Titus and uh, Titus in chapter two, verse one. What I want you to do is I want you to teach sound doctrine or teach the church according to sound doctrine. In other words, who we're to be now, according to what we believe. And so he speaks to the older people in the church. So this is who you're to be and the younger people in the church this is who you're to be. This is how you reflect Jesus Christ in how you live. And then finally in chapter three, which we're moving to this morning, he moves from a godly leadership to a godly church now to a godly witness. How does this church who's been changed by the gospel now uh, interact with the world around us? And this is the, this is the thing where we're, we're um, you know, we can kind of have family dynamics down. There can be a grace associated with one another as believers. Amen. But then how about the world around us? What are we saying about Jesus? Yes, they know us for our love for one another, but how do we interact with them? And so that's the emphasis of chapter three. And so if, as we begin in verses one and two, as we pick up in verses one and two of chapter three, Paul begins speaking about a godly church's witness to the ungodly world around us. And as we're doing that, I want you to think about the political situations we're in right now. I want you to be thinking about your boss. I want you to be thinking about anybody in ruling power over you. And then secondly, I want you to be thinking about the people you interact on a daily basis, your neighbors and those outside of your, just your immediate family group. Maybe they are in your family, your family group being unsaved, but verses one and two say, remind them. This is Paul's call to Titus. He says, remind them that is the church to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Verse two, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling and to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Lord, we come before you and we ask that you'd refresh the, these verses that we just read here in our hearts this morning. And if we should get beyond these, Lord, we ask that our, our hearts would be open as well. God, we, we by nature, our old nature are, are against this. This is not what we want to do. Uh, but Lord, teach us your ways. If your spirit is indeed within us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here in verses one and two, Paul reminds us, he continues to remind us of who we're to be. Remember chapter two, this is who you're to be. And that was more focused on our relationships with one another as believers. Now he goes, now this is who you're to be around the people around you. And he focuses 
chapter three, basically into two groups. One is uh, government and two is everybody else. Those are the big chapters, either, you know, the ruling of ruling, the rulers and authorities or the subjects to those rulers and authorities. Amen. And so you're either one or the other. How many of you are governors? Not many. Okay. I see that. All right. Just Oscar again. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Sorry. I had to get you. <laughs> you didn't know that we elect you. Um, yeah. And so, and so, you know, we are all subject, right? We're all subject to authorities, whether they be uh, government uh, at the highest level presidents, all the way down to local municipalities, to all this type of stuff. We're, we're subject to rulers and authorities. And so um, basically divides it into two groups, both rulers and authorities. And the second one is everybody else. And I think I already said that, but, but this is our general relationship to everybody in the society we live in. We're citizens under some kind of authority, usually. And in verse one, Paul focuses firstly on our witness, on the church's witness to rulers and authorities. Throw yourself back 2000 years out of the United States of America, and you are now in Rome. Subject yourself to rulers and authorities. I can hear the grumbling. I can hear it. It's even worse, you know, but subject yourself to rules. So rules and authority, this means our human governments. This is talking all the way from our president. Uh, you know, if you're talking about our president, so president Biden, um, you know, you got your federal and state. So we've got our governor, we've got our, uh, legislators. I understand we live in a, uh, representative form of government, but still there's supposed to be a, a respect and a submission there and our local and municipalities, whatever it might be, police officers, all that kind of stuff. There are authorities in our society that we are to be uh, subject to. And so rulers and authorities, this is our government, uh, generally speaking, but the overall attitude that a believer is to have towards our rulers and authorities is to be that of what? What's the word there? Remind them to be what? Submissive submission is to be our, as to be our general attitude. That's to be our default attitude towards rulers and, and government and all and authority and all that stuff. Don't worry. I have a lot more to say as we continue on here, but rulers and authorities as believers, as ones who've been blood bought by Jesus Christ, our general disposition, our relationship towards rulers and authorities is to be that of submission. Okay. I, I, I mean, I'm preaching to myself this morning, but it's the same word submission that you have slaves towards masters. It's the same word you have towards wives, towards husbands. It's the same words you have husbands towards Christ. And it's the same word that we have mutual submission towards one another in, in Christ Jesus. Amen. That means that someone has authority and you follow their lead. You follow someone else's authority. Now, Paul just says in one to be submitted to authority. So what is he talking about? He expands all of his ideas in Romans 13. So flip over to Romans 13 in your Bibles. I know we'll have it up here, but flip open to Romans 13. This gives us the big, big picture of God's design for government authority. Romans 13. Remember, Throw yourself in this, this, this thing. Wives submit to your husbands. Ah, oh, but I don't want it because of the husband. Okay. Well, what's the design of what the husband's supposed to be submitted to Christ, right? So that's the picture here. Submit to government. Well, I don't like what they're doing. Okay. What they're, what are they supposed to be? 
Here's what Paul lays out what the government is supposed to be. Here's the, here's the picture of what the government is supposed to be. That makes sense. Okay. He says here in Romans 13, it gives us this big picture. He reminds us here. And it's the same thing that Paul's talking about in Titus uh, verse one uh, of chapter three, Romans 13, one says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Amen. Verse two, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad conduct. That's a key verse. Would you have no fear of the one in authority, then do what's good and you'll receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the what the sword, the ability to kill you in vain for he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the who the wrongdoer underline wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in what? Subjection. Not only to avoid God's wrath, ultimately, but for the sake of conscience. Verse six, I'm not going to explain all of this, but for because of this, you also, what? Pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. In verse seven, pay to all what is owed them taxes to whom taxes are due revenue to who revenue is owed respect to whom respect is owed honor to whom honor honor is owed. That's Paul's explanation of the role of government. Amen. So what do we see? We see the thrust of what Paul means here in, in Titus three, verse one, he expands in other places in scriptures. I'm just talking about one of them. Romans 13 is, is one of the main ones. And, and he says here, the reason why we're to submit to government, the reason why we're all called to submit to government is one, because God established them. God established government. Did he not? Government is God, God's idea. And because resisting them is ultimately resisting God that he lays that out in Romans 13. The reason why is because government is to be designed by God. It's instituted by God to do what? To restrain evil and to punish evil and to protect and to promote good and to protect the innocent. Does that make sense? In God's perfect design of government, Right? I want to emphasize this. It's designed to punish evil and to protect the innocent. That's God's role for government. And he has the authority of God to enforce that up to taking people's lives. So what side of this equation do we want to be on? I want to be on the good side. Anyone else? Yes. Yes. That's the key idea here. You see, government is established by God for the stability of a society. If people could just take over six city blocks of a, a city for ad nauseum without any consequence whatsoever, what would happen to society? Sorry about that. If people can run amok and just walk up to you and knock you out for no reason and take all your stuff and walk away, 
every single day with no punishment in life. What, what's going on? What would happen? Absolute chaos. And we see that happening in our society to varying degrees in various places where there is a lack of government enforcement and it's to the detriment of the society. Make sense. Scary place to live, scary place to have kids, scary, scary place to interact. And I don't care about the politics of this. Evil needs to be punished. Good needs to be protected. Innocent needs to be protected. That's the role of government. Yes. Amen. I, we all appreciate that. We understand the other side of the equation. There is abuse of authority and that's a whole nother discussion equally. And we'll kind of get into that here a little bit, but let me say that God, while he institutes this, he also holds authorities responsible. Let not there be many teachers. Why? Because you will be under the greater condemnation. You'll be under the greater, the stricter judgment. Why? You have authority. You abuse that authority. God's going to hold you under greater authority. Parents over kids. You have an authority. You'll be accountable for that. Government will be held accountable by God for what they've done with what God's given them. Right? And so, although I am putting this rather simplistically, and I know there's a lot of caveats here, in general, innocent people don't need to fear government. In general. It's those who do evil. That's the, that's the design that God has put in place. In general, if you're going along, you're doing things, you're obeying the law, you generally don't have to worry about that. It's the person who does evil. And that's what Paul's addressing here. That's what Paul's talking about. What Paul is saying is that he was under the Roman government and that as believers, and I'll throw us in there with them, we're not to be those promoting and, and instigating evil. That's not who the church is supposed to be messed, it, messed up with. Hey, Crete, you guys have a reputation of being people who upend things and who are all that type of stuff. As believers, you're not to be a part of that. That's not who you're supposed to be. Believers, we're not those promoting and instigating evil. We are not to be the wrongdoers. Amen. But rather we are to do what is good. And that's the thrust here to do what is good. The ones who are actually submissive to government and all those, because ultimately why? Because we are submitted to God. That's the flow. If we're submitted to God, then we're submitted to his authorities. Amen. Yeah. And Paul lays out what submission looks like. Now I need to lay this out real clear before I get into any deviations of it. Okay. Paul lays out what submission is. It's firstly obedience. Notice that in verse one submission, we're being obedient. This means that we aren't going to resist. We aren't being the ones who resist the government. Even when we disagree with how they might do stuff. Even when we disagree with how they might do stuff. Does that make sense? I know you guys are taking notes furiously right now. Even when we disagree with how they might do something, we are to obey the laws. You know, I don't drive down the street and go, you know what? It should be 60 here. So guess what? Overruled. It's 60 now in the 35. This is so dumb. 
I've, told, I've shared with you before, driving down, you know, to Morrison, why does it go 30, 35, 25, 35? You know, you're just like, they're just out to get me. You know, I just, I know they are. How many of you have been stopped on Tamarison before? Okay, one. I know, Gary, you've confessed. I, I was first here. I didn't know what you were talking about. And then I actually had to drive that way. I'm like, ah, I see. Yeah, and it has to do with how close is the, actually the, the front of the houses are to the street. I figured it out as I've driven back. That's the way I'd go every single day. So there actually is a reason behind it. The closer the houses are to the street, the slower it is. Because you got kids possibility kids running out in the street and all that stuff. So there's a reason behind it. The idea is I don't need to arbitrarily change the rule because I think it's different. I just need to obey that my general pre uh, pre supposition, whatever it is where I, where I am, we just need to obey. That's, that's the thing. We just need to obey children, obey your parents, so to speak. Okay. That's the idea behind it. We're to give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? That's the thing. Jesus was challenged on this and they were trying to get him a trap basically. And they said, Hey, you know, Hey, are you going to pay your taxes or not? And he says, listen, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Now Jesus knew that Caesar claimed to be God. He knew all the messed up stuff he was going to be doing with that money. Right. But that wasn't what he was about. He was sitting there going, I'm going to give to what Caesar Caesar's Caesar's, but I'm also not going to stop giving to God. What is God's? So he gave, he was submitted in that, in that respect. No. And, and, and by the way, we give to Caesar what Caesar's uh, we're, we're not rebels. We're not revolutionaries. We're not stirring up insurrections. That's not our witness. That's not our call. That's the world's witness. That's how they do stuff. No, our witness to rulers and authorities is partially through our submission to them. It's a witness to them and our obedience in that. And that obedience has a context what's the context? Paul gives us the context back there in Titus. What does it say that we're to be ready for what we're to be ready for what every good work. What's the context? We're to be ready for what kind of works? Good works. That's the context of our submission, right? We're to be ready and looking for opportunities to show the rulers, the unbelieving rulers and authorities around us who our God is through our deeds, deeds that God has prepared for us to walk in before the foundations of the earth, the good works, right? And so we're to be ready for good works in our relationship with our rulers and authorities. But notice the nature of the deeds we're to be ready for our good works. And so we must remember that our submission ends when our rulers and authorities ask us to do something that is out of step with the good works, the Lord has asked us to do submission ends where sin begins. Submission ends where sin begins in any relationship. Make sense. Someone's asking you to do something who's over you that tells you to do something that is wrong according to scripture and according to your conscience before God, Romans 14, as you put in that, as you understand those things, we all have growing things. We need to be able to say, no, I won't do that. Not because I disagree with how you're doing it, but because to do this would go against what I believe God has called me to do. It's sin. Does that make sense? And we got to be careful about how we address that. Cause that's anyway. So again, it's district. But if you remember in Acts four, remember Peter and John, that got arrested 
And they, in, in the Sanhedrin, uh, the Jewish council brought him before him. They brought them before him. And what did they, what did they say to him in verse chapter four, verse 18 said, Hey, you are not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. You're not to do that. And the response that Peter and John had in verse 19 was whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you've got to judge. But for we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. We've got to continue to be obedient to God. You're telling us to do something against what God has commanded us to do. We've got to preach the word and we've got to be a witness to him in these places. Amen. So there's a time when you say, no, you cannot sing. Yes. We're going to sing as a church. You cannot gather. Yes. You are. We are going to gather as a church. We want you to play police. No, we're not going to play police on people's consciences before the Lord. Did we meet outside? Did we spray paint the lawn? Did we spread out? Did we wear masks? Did we do all that stuff forever and ever? Yes. But do you understand? There's a, there's a time and a place where we say no, but that is not our default. <laughs> our default is not the no. It's the looking for good works. It's the submission. And that's the heart part that we've got to work as on as a church that I've got to work on. Anyone else? Peter said, we've got to submit to God rather than you in this matter. And they were willing to suffer for it. They were willing to suffer for it. And we say, this has been a learning curve for me personally. And as I know it is for all of us over the past few years with our relationship with rulers and authorities, anybody had this struggle going on in your heart, where to say no and where to follow and all that stuff, you know, and then all of a sudden we start dividing into little groups. The body of Christ starts dividing into little groups of according to what this person does. And that person does, you know, because they aren't doing what I want before God. Yeah, it's hard. I want to encourage us in two things as we look at our relationship of submission towards the government. Firstly, here's the first part. To be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. (laughs) I just read Titus chapter three, verse one. That's the first thing Paul says, remind them to do that. So we need to be remembered to be submissive. And to be ready for every good work and to be obedient, right? We need to be, this needs to be our general disposition. Okay. So don't give in to a hard heart. Uh, and, and I've struggled with this. Everybody struggled with this, even though there have been compounding reasons to distrust rulers and authorities and all this stuff, still seek to submit, still be ready for good works and all that stuff. Don't become rebellious in things that we should be submitted in. But secondly, In seeking to submit, do not put the government in place of God. Do not put the government in the place of God. It is not your God. And I feel like we have done that to some degree in our society. We've Christians have placed anything that the government says as I'm going to follow this. And anything short of submitting to that is total rebellion to God. And that is not the case. Do not submit when something is sin. Amen. You got to, you got to hold true to that. And this includes when your sincere conscience before God believes it's sin. That's Romans 14. Read through that. 
and be careful of how we handle one another in those things with our conscience before the Lord. Don't just assume someone has all their theology worked out. Talk with them, encourage them, find out what's going on. Why are they doing what they're doing? If it offends you, right? Care enough to get in into that debate and, and, and respect one another in our positions. Cause someone has probably might have a, a pretty darn good reason why they're doing what they're doing. And we need to learn to love and respect one of those in those decisions. I'm saying that we haven't, but I want to make sure we do. Amen. I want to make sure I do. We need to give grace towards one another. You know, there are issues that we face that are not spelled out in in scripture. Anyone else? Like it's not spelled out, but he gives us principles. What's the principles submit, love one another, respect one another. Don't sin, you know, these types of things. Don't make someone violate their conscience. Don't make someone be forced into sin. Don't use righteousness as a cloak for evil, (laughs) right? The other way around. Yeah, it gets kind of complicated there, but we don't shirk government because we would like to do it differently. That's not acceptable. It has to be a matter of sin and conscience has to be something that's rooted. And so church, we want to maintain our witness But don't forget, and this is important church, that church history tells us that Paul lost his life to government. Jesus Christ lost his life to government. The church was martyred at the hands of government. Ungodly government that was not submitted to God's will. And just to fast forward that picture through the the ages, it is still, the church is still losing or be, is being martyred at the hands of governments. Yes. And by the way, if you fast forward a little further, we know that the world will one day be under a united final world leader, the antichrist. Government is not going to be in favor of Christ's rule. And that's, the point. Nevertheless, we're still called to submit and to do good in the face of evil. Amen. And so in our day, as wickedness increases, and this is something that we're struggling with as wickedness increases in society, there's necessarily as decrees that are wicked come out and all this stuff. For example, you know, Matt, you cannot teach about biblical sexuality. You can't teach that a man is a man and a woman is a woman created in the image of God. And together they paint a picture of God. You can't do that from the pulpit. It's going to be illegal right? That's what's coming. Going to do it anyways, not out of rebellion because that, but because of that's the truth. That's the truth of the matter. I'm not going to perpetuate a lie. That's, that's what's going on, right? Oh, we'll take away your taxes. It's like, go for it. We've got, you know, not, we want to throw that away, but I mean, truth is important. But we know that the world of government is coming to a place where those decrees are going to be coming more and more and more. This is what the picture of Daniel, we went through Daniel, you saw the world government stacked on one another and they led to a final government where the final, well, the final government this way, where the rock that was hewn with no hands is going to come and hit the bottom of that. And a mountain's going to come up. That's all picture of Jesus Christ coming to overcome world governments. In the end, he is going to set up his kingdom. That's going to overcome all of man's rebellious world governments led by the enemy. That's the part of the kingdom. We're a part of, we're part of the good kingdom, the righteous kingdom, the godly kingdom, 
Amen. The one that submitted to God. And so in our day, as wickedness increases and wicked decrees abound, there is necessarily going to be a severing of our submission to government in those areas that would be sinful for us to follow. And I would encourage us to pray and to seek the Lord in those areas. Amen. But by the way, it's, this is also a witness to the world and to the government and to rules and authorities, not just in our submission, but when we choose not to. And so we need to make sure those things are, are squared. Amen. They're squared because they're saying something. They're saying something about the God we serve and they're saying something about who our government is in face of the God we serve and and where our allegiance ultimately is. We will follow you in goodness and all the good things you want to do according to God. And even if you'd want to do things differently, we're not going to get on your case for all that. We realize governing is a difficult situation, but when it comes to these things, I cannot follow. Daniel had those moments, Paul, Jesus, the apostles, and every single Christian has those moments. But in all of this church, remember that we must not shirk from the Lord's command to be submissive and obedient and ready for every good work. Amen. In this, it's in this, we have our witness to the unsaved rulers behind. And obviously there's a lot more to this, right? There's a lot more. This is verse one <laughs> and we're almost done. So we'll just do verse two. Okay. <laughs> now I know, see, this is what, this is the problem. It's like, but I think it's something we need to hear. Amen. We need to hear about these things. These are, this is, if we, you know, if we're dealing with this in a culture, notice how the word, the word brings us up. Listen, this is not your enemy. Amen. You know, and if a brother or sister decides to mask up or unmask up, you know, and all that stuff, don't shoot them and leave them for dead. Love them. Find out what's going on in their life, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, we're in this together. We're meaning the church. <laughs> We're in this together. Amen. Till the end. Now, secondly, in verse two, we're reminded that we have a witness also to the people around us. So we're to submit and to obey rulers and authorities. And then uh, in verse two, we are to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. So this is some guiding rules that would have kind of gone against exactly what the typical Christian would have been, been like, right? This ruffian got saved out of the world. They're just crazy madmen. finally came to the Lord. And now they're being trained to follow Christ and they're, they're trained not to follow the culture, but now to follow Christ. And so verse two says, we're to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Two negative actions in our witness, the two negative things that affect our witness towards the world. And then two positives. So two negatives, the word, well, first of all, the word for speaking evil here. Yeah. The two negatives uh, in the Greek is where we get the word for blasphemy. That's what that word is. Blasphemy. We're not to blaspheme people. You can imagine what that says about God speaking evil against God, saying things, attributing to things against him that aren't true, seeking to undermine God in our words and all that type of stuff. That's what blasphemy is, right? Well, we're not to do that towards one another is what it says here. The, again, that word, it says uh, speak evil is, is the word blaspheme. Don't blaspheme one another. 
speech that curses at someone, reviles them, slanders them, attacks them, and so forth. And so our speech is not to entertain speaking evil of our leaders and also of our fellow men, right? To everybody, just, that's just not, that's not uh, godly. That's not, that's not house rules. We can't do that. And so our speech is not to entertain speaking of evil. Uh, and I think of Peter uh, describing Jesus's model of this, of how Jesus interacted in first Peter chapter two, verse 23, write that down. Cause you'll want to memorize this in your own heart. First Peter two, 20, uh, two, 23. Uh, he says, uh, when he was reviled, speaking of Jesus, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but what did he do? But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He left the judgment up to God. And he kept continuing to trust the Lord. He didn't return what could have been returned. And if there's anyone who could return what should have been returned, it was Jesus. Amen. This is an area that I need to grow in. We need to grow in um, where we're not repaying what comes at us, but we're leaving that up to God. And so even when people speak evil towards you, church, towards us, and they say all kinds of things against us for righteousness sake, I hope. We're to maintain pure, remain pure in our speech and our actions towards them. Another uh, detriment to our witness. The second thing there in verse two is we're to avoid quarreling. We're to do our best to be at peace with all men, right? Uh, we are to be uncontentious, uncontentious is in some of your translations. Don't be contentious with people, peaceful and patient with the lost around us. And so this doesn't mean that we're not grieved and frustrated over sin around us. How can you not be? But it means we choose not to quarrel and to be argumentative and all that kind of stuff in the midst of it. So two negatives don't in the way we talk and the way we interact with people, right? We're, we're to refrain from speaking evil and we're also to refrain from quarreling. Don't do reality TV with people. So two negatives that affect our witness followed by two positives. Ready? Verse two. Firstly, we're to be gentle Right. And this means we're to be equitable. We're to be fair. We're to be mild in our interactions with people. And, you know, quite often uh, we can be harsh with unbelievers. Right. Anybody want to be harsh with unbelievers? I just got back from Eugene um, on that side of the island. And uh, it's just it's not Walla Walla. And so everybody's just snapping at you to, to get in line. And I just like, okay, Lord, be gentle. Help me to be gentle, be gentle, you know, Lord help me right in, in my actions and how I'm supposed to do stuff. But I like what MacArthur said here, we are to have an attitude that doesn't hold grudges and gives others the benefit of the doubt. I think that's pretty cool. We're to be gentle. And the other end of verse two, at the end of verse two, and this is the overall thrust. We are to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Courtesy here is also translated meekness. And the idea is authority under control. You know, we know who we are in Christ. We know who, where we're seated, but yet we look at the benefits of someone else above our rights and powers. Does that make sense? That's kind of how Jesus was towards us. He was meek towards us. Think of how powerful and how righteous and how instantaneously uh, Jesus could have leveled the playing field on, on any of us. Right. But yet he chose to be meek. He chose to delay his wrath. So to speak, he was kind towards us. He was long suffering. 
And the idea is authority under control. And Jesus is the ultimate example of exercising courtesy towards all, meekness towards all. And so we are to be that way towards unbelievers. Our witness is to be winsome. That's the idea. We're to have a winsome uh, witness towards rulers and authorities, as well as our fellow man. And and, and it's going to move into verse three, and I'm going to hold off there. But here's the thrust, church. This is the big picture. And I, I want you to leave with this. God's been so good to us. Amen. We were so lost and so far away and so annoyingly sinful. And he was just good to us. Go be that to the lost world around you. Amen. Lord God, <laughs> may it be so in my heart. Forgive me for not being a representative of your goodness. Lord, help us as a church to be a representative of your goodness this week, to be long suffering and patient towards the world around us. Shine through us, Lord, cleanse our attitudes in our hearts. Help us to love you more than we love ourselves in this world. Remind us of what you've done, how you've brought us into your courts. And it is better one day in your kingdom, in your courts, in your presence than it was a thousand days in the world. Thank you so much. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Love you so much.